0: Here's Neymar now. Cabani is there. The Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Kalu for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Kylian Mbappe wraps it up.
1: Coming up in Le Beaujolais, Amiens low as PSG underperform in a thriller on the eve of their Champions League test at Dortmund. We hear from German football expert Alex Chaffer ahead of that mouth-watering tie. Aussie men end Mondonde's run but Marseille march on in second towards the Champions League and so much more, as ever, including this week's chance for you to win in Deja Who. Without further ado, let's get on to the match of the weekend and Amel Tongi, as ever, was the lucky man to commentate it, Amiens 4, Paris Saint-Germain 4. Kakuta
0: picks it up and tries to play to advance with Diabate on goal for semi Diabate and it's 3-0 to Abia. unbelievable yeah. Traxler's corner back post is under Herrera and he pulls on back for PSG now another corner for PSG and it's another goal for PSG and another one for Tongi Kouassi Anamia cannot defend a set-piece here this afternoon. From 3-0 down, Paris saint are back on level terms. Venati to Juan Bernat, He's playing ahead of Mitchell Bakker on the left wing. Here he is breaking into the penalty area and finding Icardi. And Paris saint from 3 down and now 4-3 up and now Amia might make Cavani pay for all Samuel Garassi has got Amia back on level terms in added time here at the Stade de Alicom unbelievable
1: stuff well Armel, that was a, a most unexpected Saturday despite the changes that Paris Saint-Germain played to their, made to their team as they went 3-0 down and they did their own remontada <laughs> they did shock I'd just like to apologise as well for some of the high notes that I hit when
2: Kakuta scored the I Amia mean, second I I couldn't believe it, but anyway, enough about that. Yeah, it was because he it, hit the target. Yeah, that's also a rarity. He chose a great game to to come to life like that, Gael Kakuta, because he really he ran the show in the first half. I mean, PSG didn't wake up, and that's probably what we need to focus on: was Paris Saint Germain's slow start in this big week for the club.
1: Um, We've been start. talking about how important it was for Thiago Silva to come back. He did come back, captain the team, and got. 2 out of 10 in Le Keep for his display. How how bad was he?
2: Uh, bad. I mean, he he was bad. The, the, Thomas Tuchel made it clear the plan was that he was only going to play 45 minutes and he wasn't substituted as a knee-jerk reaction. But he, he did not look his normal self. And I think that 45-minute run-out, if he is to play on Tuesday, is going to be a very important little uh, warm-up for him because he certainly didn't look ready to master the likes of...
1: Halland and Jaden Sancho. I'm doing the introductions as we go along. I'm David Cross, and no Matt Spiro again this week—an extended holiday for our usual host, making his podcast debut. Jonathan Johnson, ESPN FC's French football writer. Jonathan, um, how, what did you make of the game of PSG ahead of this huge Champions League tie? It's not the result or performance they were after. Oh
3: well, no! Part of me was surprised. Uh, part of me wasn't. Uh, I mean. Judging by Silva's comments in particular after the match, he said the mentality will be better uh, against Dortmund next week. That sort of typifies the way that PSG seem to come into these big Champions League matches these last couple of years. Uh, And it wasn't completely surprising for me to see uh, a much rotated PSG side underwhelm on the road. But to have found themselves 3-0 down in the first half at one point, you know, I think that really... sort this of This is t- against an Amiens side it. that have
1: been horrendous in recent months as well.
3: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I think PSG made them look good uh, in parts. I think the the, the second half uh, reaction, you know, getting themselves back in front, uh, you know, it d- d- does show a little bit of metal. But then again, considering the amount of rotation that Tuchel did for this match, uh, you know, there's no guarantee that some of those players who were starting... Against Amiag, will find themselves in the starting eleven against Dortmund in a couple of days' time.
2: And re- realistically, Cavani should have killed it, made it five three with the action that pre- well, the chance that preceded uh, Amiens' fourth goal. And that's at the sort of level that they're coming into in this midweek.
1: That's the sort of chance that they need to be finishing. He's on the nervous one nine nine, isn't he? Yep. He had his goal disallowed because of VAR in the cup mm. in midweek, which would have been his two hundredth. Jimmy Brion on 99, we might come back to that later. Oh. But let's carry on with Paris Saint-Germain because Leonardo the previous week said that people are being too negative but it's hard not to be negative about Paris Saint-Germain and Andy Scott after they concede four to an Amiens side that haven't won in 13 games. There's no way to go into a, a tie against Dortmund with the players that Armel mentioned, the likes of Haaland and, and Sancho.
4: Hi Dave, hi everyone. Yeah, I mean I think, um, first of all, let's not let's not exaggerate here i mean paris saint-germain is probably four players i would say in that starting lineup who are liable to start the game in dortmund uh, they won 6-1 against dijon in the cup 3 days at 3 days earlier so you know let's not let's not um start panicking obviously there are concerns because um amian i thought Ar- armel made the the excellent point yesterday that psg's last defeat in any competition came on the same weekend in which amian last won a game so we are talking 3 months we're talking a long time but i are not actually a bad team. I mean, they they played quite well in drawing with Lyon a couple of weeks ago. They were unlucky not to take something against Monaco. They showed great fight. And um, each game in its own context, you know, PSG don't need to worry about the drop points in in this specific game. So I think really we, we may be could be guilty of, of analysing this a bit too much. The, the the biggest concern Paris Saint-Germain have, you're right, is is, is in defence. We've said this many, many times now. They looked already very vulnerable at the back in previous games against the likes of Monaco and Lyon, but this is an Amiens team who obviously don't carry the same attacking threat. And, and you do have to be very concerned about how they will cope with Dortmund flooding forwards at the Westfalenstadion in front of that yellow wall uh, this coming midweek. And and I think there will certainly be goals in that game. But, you know, Paris Saint-Germain are liable to score a couple themselves there. And 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 (laughs) still got to be fancy to win this tie. It's not a time to panic. I just think that one of the problems with PSG, once again, is that for weeks and weeks and weeks now, we've been saying it's all building up to the Dortmund game. And it cranks up the pressure. Everything's about the Dortmund game. And they are you know, let's hope it doesn't happen for their sake, but they are, of course, setting themselves
1: up for another potentially very big fall. And this is Thomas Tuchel going back to his former club, who beat Frankfurt 4-0 on Friday. They'll have had an extra 24 hours rest compared to Paris Saint-Germain. I think this will be an appropriate time to hear from Alex Chaffer, the Bundesliga journalist, uh, who our executive producer Ian Holyman spoke to over the weekend. So, Alex, ahead of the Dortmund-Paris Saint-Germain first leg.
5: Dortmund's the most important player right now, and probably un- impossible to say otherwise, is is Jadon Sancho. And as you say, with PSG's possible weak link being their their back position, it's it's a game where Sancho could 100% run right, especially with Marco Royce missing. His 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 uh, importance to this game for Dortmund has no end. Actually, to be honest, it's a scary thought for PSG. And uh, yeah, right now I think. Sancho and, ha- and Haaland are two of the most informed players, not even young players but players in Europe right now so for PSG, for Thiago Silva and Marquinhos it's going to be a really difficult night with Haaland you know you can say he's 19 years old but he's hes well over 6 foot he's hes properly built and he's hes already a, a European quality striker who can obviously as we've seen already this season dominate in the Champions League only, only Robert Lewandowski has scored more goals in the competition this season so uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a long and difficult night for PSG centre backs.
1: So, in that conversation, which I think you can hear in full on our Le Beauje podcast page, I think Ian said that Paris Saint Germain literally can't defend. What do we make <laughs> about that? And who should be playing at centre half? I
2: I think from a French football perspective, after last weekend's game, we should just thank them for putting in such a poor defensive performance because it made for one of the most exciting and strange games involving Paris Saint-Germain that I've seen in Ligue 1 for a long, long time. So thanks Thiago Silva, thanks Tongi Kwasi. It was it was great. But um with regards to them actually wanting to get a result on Tuesday night, which they probably do. Presnel Kimbembe still a still a doubt, isn't he, with a uh, with injury. Marquinhos said that he was totally ready to start um post-game in Amiens. So I think we'll definitely see Marquinhos at the back, who was a um, a reassuring presence when he came on in the second half. Marco Verratti, again, proved how important he is to the team when he came on in the second half in Amiens. So you're saying
1: Thiago Silva and Marquinhos, even if Kimpembe's fit?
2: I'm not saying Thiago Silva. I I think Marquinhos, I'm not going to stick my head out for the second one. I think Thomas Tuchel's got a fairly big decision to make about who's going to start at centre-back alongside Marquinhos. Can
4: I I just ask a question here? I'm I'm just um, sort of racking my brains and and perhaps you guys know the answer to this, but how often have, I mean, obviously we've seen Paris Saint-Germain playing big games in the recent past. They've tended to play with this hybrid, uh, sort of almost three-man central defence and Marquinhos steps up and steps back. Mm. Now, the feeling is that that's unlikely to happen this time because Thomas Tuchel for about three months now has been playing this same formation with just Gay and Verratti in midfield. And the idea is that Marquinhos, if he does play, will probably play in central defence. But how many games have Marquinhos and Thiago Silva played together as the central defensive partnership for Paris Saint-Germain in recent times? Does anybody have the answer to this? Do we have, I mean, in my head, I I don't have the specific numbers, but they haven't played Mm. that many games as the first choice central defensive pairing. And yet we're here sitting thinking, well, maybe that should be the pairing for this game.
1: It's a good question, Andy, and I don't have the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) JJ.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a massive headache for, for Thomas Tuchel. And I mean, I think perhaps, you know, the silver lining in all of this at the moment is while, uh, you know, Thiago Silva's form is a bit of a concern, uh, the recent lack of match fitness for both Silva and Marquinhos uh, and Presnel Kimpembe is, is, is also something that, that will be worrying him. You've got, uh, you know, a, a very promising youngster in, in Kouassi who's, you know, suddenly come into form and seems to have put himself into contention to start because it's not like Kouassi has no experience yeah, in the Champions League.
1: Kouassi, because uh, he scored a couple at the weekend, and he's been looking impressive when he's played. There's still, as far as I gather, a bit of doubt about his long-term future at Paris. Yeah, Centre very much
3: match. so. I mean, the PSG are still waiting for him to commit to professional terms, as well as Adil Oshish as well. So it's at, at this moment in time, Tukul is seems to be giving him every opportunity to to prove himself uh, at senior level, which you know, which is what a lot of the PSG youngsters don't really get and it's one of the things yeah. that sort of pushes them to join other clubs but he's he's getting the opportunities and the interesting thing about Kurasi is when he broke through at senior level he was being utilised in midfield at the very beginning and then he's very quickly moved back into defence and uh, you know he's almost in a similar situation to Marquinhos now where Tuchel can use him in either position uh, you know to fill uh, to, to fill those holes or to suit the system that he prefers so really it's up to, to Tuchel depending on the tactics I'm wants. going to play
1: devil's advocate here because Kouassi is in a, a similar position to Pembe before Pembe had Messi in his pocket uh, a few years ago. Um, but a club of Paris Saint-Germain's size and budget shouldn't be having to rely on someone like Tongi Kouassi when they come around to the last 16 of the Champions League where we know this is where Paris Saint-Germain are going to get judged.
2: Unless he actually is the bee's knees. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a as we say, 17 years old. Starting games for Paris Saint-Germain, that says something in itself. The guy's played, I think, 13 senior games. He's got three goals. As we've said, he spent most of those at centre-back or a few at defensive midfield. Um, I mean, he lo- he looks like a promising player. He's not quite built like a fully grown man yet, but he's hes a tall lad and he reads the game well. So, uh, you know, you could you could also say that,
3: yes, they shouldn't be relying on a 17-year-old, but if he's good enough, then why not? But also, it's quite unfortunate as well when you look at the the injury picked up by Abdou Diallo, uh, you know, that prevents him from making a return to Dortmund, uh, you know, and the fact that uh, you know Marquinhos seems to even be, be run into the ground a little bit over the first part of the season, you know, it came back after Copper America duty, he didn't really get uh, as much of a break as, uh, as as some of his teammates did, uh, and then Thiago Silva picking up an injury at an inopportune moment, so. Uh, it's, it's hard to point too many fingers uh, as to why so many of the senior uh, players have not played that much in the build-up to this game.
1: There's an issue at left-back as well. Juan Bernat has only played 60 minutes over the last couple of games after being out for a month. Levin Cazava has done okay, I'd that's, say.
4: That's a big concern, actually, because I,
1: I do think that Juan, Juan
4: Bernat is, is a very important player for PSG and no. a very good player, too, on the, on the left-hand side. Now, I also think that, um, <clears throat> I mean, we've, 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 we've spoken to Bundesliga experts obviously watching Dortmund on, a, on a, a weekly basis, which we're not able to do because we're busy watching the, the French clubs. But clearly Dortmund have this, uh, you know, uh, fantastic front three. If it's Sancho and, and Azar either side of Holland, you've also got the full-backs who get, get forward. So they'll be overloading those flanks on both sides throughout that game and causing Paris Saint-Germain problems down, down those sides. And yeah, if, if Bernat is not playing, then that will be a big blow for them both going forward and and defensively because Kurzawa doesn't offer, I I would suggest, the same level of uh, defensive security or the same attacking threat as as Juan Bernat.
1: Indeed, Sancho, the only player in the five major European leagues in double figures for goals and assists this season. He's backing up a really impressive season. Last year, Holland, who was outstanding in the Champions League group stage, has moved to Dortmund and he's got eight goals in his first five Bundesliga appearances. So we've been through all the defensive problems that Paris Saint-Germain potentially have but surely Dortmund who do ship goals as well, they lost 4-3 to Leverkusen last week, have to be scared about Paris Saint-Germain's attack in what, for a neutral has got to be the tie to watch in this entire round
2: Do we recall as well that a Lucien Favre team has already smashed Paris Saint-Germain denying them a French title when Nice won 3-1 at the uh, Alliance Riviera and the year Monaco won the title. A great day for French football down there on the south coast, wouldn't you say, JJ? So Lucien Favre has got previous in downing Paris Saint-Germain. It's gonna be it's gonna be a very interesting encounter. It's not
1: gonna be nil nil, basically, is what we're saying.
2: Hope not. Well, if Amiens can push Paris Saint-Germain to a four
4: all, then I think. Can I can I just say one one thing again about this? Uh, to come back to the game on Saturday, I think it's really it's a, it's, it's it's really important uh, what happened in that game. Actually, I mean, I, I was I was um, out of the country on Saturday and um, I, I didn't see the game uh, live. I watched the highlights of it. And I, I, I discovered the result uh, on Saturday evening, and was extremely surprised. Obviously, because you expect Paris Saint-Germain to win that game easily. I mean, just to put it into some context, the the most recent uh, Deloitte Football Money League, which which is kind of a reference point for the for to to see what the biggest the super clubs are earning. Paris Saint-Germain are number five on that list with income of. Uh, about 650 million euros uh, last season. Uh, Amiens' budget according to Lequipe at the start of this season was the second lowest in Ligue 1 at about 30 million euros for the year which you know is is basically less than Neymar's wages. So for them to take anything from Paris Saint-Germain is a major surprise and it's also quite heartening for those of us who want to see uh, a bit of competition in the league. It's it's really high time that uh, Paris Saint-Germain were 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 given a game on a regular basis. And also that it was not not something that creates panic stations and people are asking all sorts of questions about what's happening at Paris Saint Germain just because they've drawn a game. You know, I mean, ultimately that's what football should be about. We should be able to to um, celebrate that fact.
1: But their lead has been cut to ten points now. They must be quaking. Their lead has Only been thirteen to, games but, to go. But, you
4: know, I think I think the point the point the point I'm trying to make in a sense is that you know this is not the Paris Saint Germain podcast. This is a league podcast. Um, And as somebody who has grown up supporting a so-called smaller team in a separate league, got got very... Unhappy, perhaps, about all the attention being focused on the big clubs all the time. Put Amiens in the spotlight. This is a team who are trying to avoid relegation. They're right in a dogfight because some of the teams around them have started picking up points. They've given themselves a chance. They've held Paris Saint-Germain. And they're disappointed not to have won that game because they were 3-0 up. And they have some good you know, players to watch as well. They have some good players Kukuta, to watch. Kakuta, that, Yeah, and is a good player. And, and Gael Kakuta's goal, as Armel said, was absolutely out of this world. Mm-hmm. You know, really, really quite something. Um, so let's just give them a little bit more credit. And, um, you know, the, I think in the context of Paris Saint-Germain's
1: season, maybe it's not
4: such a big deal what's happened at the weekend. But for Amiens, that could be a really big result.
1: Do you agree with Andy? Do you not agree with Andy? Get in touch with us. we love to hear from you. Ligue podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Ligan underscore ENG and use the hashtag Le Bourgeois. Also, do rate us on whatever podcast platform you use, but be kind. Well... Let's move on then, shall we, to our Deja Who feature. Let's uh, recap last week's one. And uh, not all of you were around the table last week, so maybe you could play along with this one if oh. you weren't here.
4: What's the prize?
1: Uh, maybe another coffee. <laughs> Where we, just to let you in on a, a podcast secret, our listeners, we had a, a pod crisis this morning as I ran out of coffee pods. So maybe I didn't spend quite as long as my intro as I usually would. Because, but at least I gave coffee to the boys, and that means they're more talkative than they would have been otherwise. Deja Who last week's one. I am a British League and title winner. I was an artful midfielder who spent two years gracing the principality. My favourite sweets are Toffees. Anyone, anyone mm. Mm, is it Mark Hatley?
2: <laughs> <laughs> or is it Glenn Hoddle? Joe Cole. Joe Cole. He doesn't like toffees. He does not, not like a, toffees. He's yeah. a He does bar, not
1: man. like toffees,
4: yeah. <laughs> no. well,
1: debatable given his weight when he was at Lille. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, we, we all know the answer. You all know the answer. Of course, it's John Collins, one of Scotland's finest, along yeah. with Andy Scott.
4: Very cultured player, who was John Collins, with a great torso. <laughs> anyone anyone who, who saw him John Collins was the Hibs manager when they won the League Cup in 2007 he ripped off his shirt and displayed his torso as part of his celebration don't think he ever did that when he was playing in French football he was too white he was, yeah, he was. All that time spent on the beaches uh, in the Principality, though, Dave. You know, uh, you know all about that. It's uh, a good place to spend your how was your, your time? how was
2: your Valentine's Day trip. <laughs> I, to... I was
1: suggesting it. If anyone did take up my suggestion, which I, I wrote a, a feature article for the leagueand.com website, mm. outlining how you could spend the perfect Valentine's Day in Monaco. And uh, if you're an Islam Slimani fan and you did go, do get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> This week's Deja Ho, do use uh, the hashtag dejavul one to at Ligan underscore English or uh, send in your answers to Ligue podcast at gmail.com OK, the clues I grew up in Luxembourg but started my football career in France at Metz. I then became a lion before turning into a little prince in the Italian capital I'm now a pianist alongside a multiple Ballon d'Or winner I like it I don't actually set these déjà hoos but uh, Ian's getting ever more cryptic I'm, I'm, mm. I'm enjoying this
4: Is it Milan-Bichovac or Vincent oh, the,
1: the answer next week <laughs> <laughs> Right let's move on to Marseille now and they were at Lille last night in a huge match in terms of the podium finish and I commentated this one This is the chance. And good ball oh, there in front. What a turnaround. Dario Benedetto with his first goal of the calendar year, his eighth of the season. Andre Vilas Pavas can barely believe it. The second half in that game was fantastic. The first half, not a great deal happened. Mondonda made a, a couple of decent stops to keep out Aussie and Remy, uh, and then conceded the first goal that Marseille have let in in the league in 2020. Aussie with a great finish looked like Lealwood. would storm to victory after that and close the gap between themselves and Marseille to six points as well as leapfrogging Wren to go into third before a crazy turnaround in a couple of minutes. Uh, Valerjament at the heart of that having had a, a quiet game and a very tough season a flicked header and Reynaldo with the own goal and then Benedetto on the score sheet for the first time this calendar year and uh, Marseille now looking incredibly good for second place they're 11 points clear of Wren who are third. Impressive, especially as Dimitri Payet was unavailable because of a thigh injury.
4: It's a, it's an, a, a really, uh, really impressive result in the context that Leland lost just one of the last 16 games at home going back to March last year. And that was again in the league. And that was against Paris Saint-Germain in, in, in January when Neymar was was very much on his game that night. um it was a massive game for Lille and and a big uh, missed opportunity for them because because of results elsewhere this weekend and an incredible result for Marseille because as you say they were they were seriously weakened and it was not a result that looked like it was going to come after Lille took the lead with a lovely goal and um, the, obviously the the penalty saved by Mike Menon, who's made a bit of a habit of that hasn't he I think he's saved about a quarter of all the penalties he's faced now in league and I think it's seven. That made it 24. his seventh yeah, yeah seventh save and um, so a really remarkable result for Marseille. And yeah, it does, I think there would have been a real wobble potentially if they'd lost that game and Lille moved to within six points. I think it would have given Lille a massive lift. Um, it would have given them the feeling that they could potentially catch Marseille for second place in automatic Champions League qualification, but now it would, it's going to take a big collapse from, from Marseille to miss out. And this sure.
1: turnaround happened after Hiroki Sakai was taken off and Bouna Sarr, who had been playing on the wing, dropped back to right-back and Germain switched sides and came over to the right-hand side. I know that the, the teenager, Mali Ake, has been given a fair bit of credit in the French press. But for me, it was about Germain, that turnaround. The, the honest professional who, at last, had a huge smile on his face at the end of a game.
4: He's not, he's not a finisher, really. But he's, it was a fantastic delivery for the, for the second goal, wasn't it?
1: No? Yeah, it really was. It was, it was a <laughs> lovely low cross. And Benedetto's movement, well, Maro Accardi would have been proud of that movement as he got away from Font and slid down the side of uh, Tiago Giallo, who had a, a really tough second half.
2: I loved what I saw at the end of the game. The Marseille fans going over, uh, sorry, the Marseille players going over to their fans and uh, doing the old back and forth, ozam with the with the supporters. Showed, as David pointed out in commentary, the importance of having away fans at stadiums, mm-hmm. and also um, it's you know it's a real sign that Marseille believe Marseille really really think that they're the team to qualify for the Champions League and finish second and obviously critics will say they were celebrating that like they've just moved into first place but it's the reality of the French League at the moment you're competing for second place if your name's not Paris Saint-Germain and Marseille are really enjoying this season and I think it's it's good to see for French football that that old power are back up there back well back up there back up competing for second place and
0: No, they haven't been in the
1: Champions League since 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. And the last time they were there, they didn't even take a point. And uh, given the, the stadium and the support and the history they should be up there shouldn't they JJ?
3: Yeah absolutely I mean it's heartening as well to see the, see the feel good factor back I mean I think the last time we saw this was during the Bielsa era which obviously ended uh, you know very abruptly and in a in a very bitter manner but uh, you know to see such like as Armel was saying to see such a big big club uh, you know sort of finally back up there looking like they might have the potential at some point in the future to push PSG uh, a bit closer for the title you know perhaps uh, next season we'll see what happens uh, with the remainder of this campaign uh, you know but to see what villas Boas is doing especially sort of with one at least one hand tied behind his back in terms of what he was able to do with the squad coming into this season uh, you know I think he, he you know he's doing a fantastic job and, and like you guys have said you know the fact that they managed to get this result on the road after going a goal down without Dimitri Payet, uh, you know speaks you know volumes for for how
4: far this this team has come uh, in recent weeks especially.
1: 14 so, matches unbeaten mm-hmm. in the league for them now
4: it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I cannot believe that they've not lost since the end of October when they were torn they've apart. They've
1: taken more points than Paris Saint-Germain yeah, it's, since it's, November. It's really One point remarkable. Point
2: more. Really remarkable. It's, it's Alvaro Gonzalez, isn't it? Because he, he hasn't lost a game no, yet in Ligue no. And he's the uh, funny story of the week involving Marseille. Because he, he said, at the, I think at the end of last week, that he had a Marseille shirt as a kid. And so everyone in France went, yeah, whatever. He's just, you know, everyone plays this card. So he posted a picture of his dad two days ago with a small little 2005-2006 Marseille shirt and shut
1: everyone up with it. So well played, Alvaro Gonzalez. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. So uh, Lille, yeah, they, that was a big lost opportunity for them and you could see Christophe Galtier's reaction at the end. He really knew it. He's uh, got all of his Marseille links. Marseille born, had time there as a player and on the coaching staff as well. And yeah, that, that opportunity might come back to haunt them. I mean, you just hear his quotes as well after the match. You know, he was saying that
3: you know, basically, second place is Marseille is to lose. Now it's almost you know, sort of waving the white flag in terms of managing to get into uh, second before the end of the season, and you know, sort of accepting that the best that the Lille can perhaps hope for between now and the end of the term is, uh, is is a third place finish at best.
1: People might argue they didn't help themselves with Galtier electing to leave out Boubacar Sumare mm. despite having Benjamin Andre. And Jekka out suspended. Um, mm-hmm. Sumare, who turned down a move to Newcastle in January, despite a transfer fee, a very high transfer fee of 40 million euros or so, having been agreed between the two clubs, and that's said to have been a factor in this decision to leave him out and play the 20-year-old Cameroonian Junior Onana for his first league game.
4: Yeah, because they, I mean, they have uh, on paper one of the one of the best central midfielders uh, in league. I would say. Um, and obviously with the quality they have on the flanks and this decision now to play Remy and Ozimhen together up front, there should be goals in that team but there, there actually aren't that many goals in that team. They're not scoring a lot of goals. Ozimhen keeps popping up with with goals on a regular basis but nobody else is really contributing. I mean, we've, we've Criticised uh, Bomba and, and Iconé in the past for not contributing enough. They've scored four goals in the league between them this season, and two of those were penalties. You know, it's not enough. Mm. Although Bomba's pass for the goal was was a lovely one, but I think coming into the weekend, I was looking at this in some in some depth uh, last week, and you know, the the argument in Lille's favour was that they'd suddenly put this run of three wins in a row together um, to to really sort of propel themselves right back into contention. They'd essentially um, played most of the difficult away fixtures, and their away form would be very poor. And so you you look at it and you would say, well, the home form is excellent. They've still got to play, even after this, they've still got to play the likes of Lyon and Monaco at home. And if they can get results in those games, they'll remain in a strong position to finish third because although Marseille seem to have second place wrapped up, um, it does remain extremely tight in the battle for third position. I mean, we might come on to Rennes and, and Monaco a little bit later. Monaco, despite all their problems, are actually beginning to look like possibly the most likely to take third place unless Lille can... Um, you know maybe hammer home that that home advantage in the coming games I I think some more silver lining as well from
3: this match as you look at the appearance of Timothy Ware from the substitutes bench been out pretty much since the beginning of the season was somebody who probably would have played a key part for this Lille side had he been fit Uh, you know so if Galtier can get him back uh, you know into into some good shape uh, in the next couple of weeks you know he could be quite an important player for them between now and the end of the season particularly given the way that you know he's a player he's quite rare in that he can score and create goals Goals. And I think that would give Lille a big, uh, you know, boost uh, for the remainder of the season, considering how, you know, it's it's left to Aussie men quite often, or more often than not, to, to provide the the goals, uh, you know, that are winning them games.
1: We do have a lot to get through, so we're going to move on in a second. I'm just going to make one final point on that game, um, to give some kudos to Boubacar Camera because he should have got the Man of the Match prize. Somehow it got given to Morgan Sanson, but camera it was who was so smooth and by far Marseille's best player the battle for third no one seems to want to finish third and Andy Scott commentated on Lyon against Strasbourg two potential European contenders but Lyon are in the bottom half of the table let's hear what happens
4: cross crosses a good one and it's turned in by Traore Lyon have the lead. is looking to beat Zoey and Zoe is in equalising goal will not cap. The offside flag eventually coming up. Let's see this again. It's not offside. he
0: late in stepping
4: up? And that goal shoots down. Here's a goal. Strikes
1: on the back level. But Andy, uh, there was a shock. Bertrand Traore got a goal. Um, yeah. But perhaps <laughs> no Ligue surprise goal nearly a year. Yeah. to see Lyon again drop points at home.
4: Yeah, I mean, their the home record is is uh, really quite astounding because when you think back, I mean, Lyon have been playing in this in this new stadium now for four years, the, the Groupama Stadium. And actually, for three and a half years, they were very strong at home. You know, they would, they would tend to beat Paris Saint-Germain at home and they would tend to really pick up points to score goals at home. This season, it's mid-table form. Four wins, four draws, four defeats at home. They scored 15 goals at home in 12 games and six of those came against Angers in August. <laughs> so, you know, you do the maths. You know, they're not scoring many goals and uh, averaging less than a goal a game at home since then. I think they'd failed to score in six out of nine at home or something before before the game yesterday. They took the lead and then they just never looked like scoring again. I mean, they left Moussa Dembele on the bench. Now, fair enough, he needs to have a rest at some point. Um, they got Juventus next week. Juventus coming up next week. Uh, 19 goals in all competitions this season for Dembele. Obviously, Memphis Depay still out. 14 goals in all competitions for him without him. Without those two on the field, there's not enough of a goal threat. Um, and Strasbourg were unlucky not to win that game. They had uh, they hit the woodwork twice in the last uh, five minutes or so, and and played with the greater confidence. Didn't create a lot of chances either. It wasn't a classic game, but but you know Strasbourg uh, looked like the more um, confident, assured team at the moment. And Lyon just are unable to to get themselves... They're having such uh, a order. bizarre
1: season into the final of the Coupe de la Ligue, into the semi-finals of the Coupe de France, having beaten Marseille in midweek thanks to an Oussema Aouar goal and with this Juventus tie to come and yet 11th yeah. in the table and their goalkeeper, Anthony Lopez, said the table was shown on the big screens after the game and I saw some of the faces. Everyone is really hurt.
4: Well, I mean, they've had... Um, They're the, the, in the 23rd consecutive season in European competitions, although obviously that run of seven consecutive titles in the, in, the, in the previous decade is beginning to sort of fade into, into uh, distant memory. The reality is that they have been the most consistent French team for a quarter of a century. It would be a massive, massive uh, shock on so many levels if they were not in Europe at all next season. But you have to say, it's beginning to look like a very strong possibility. I mean, would, do you fancy them to beat Paris Saint-Germain, either in the semi-final of the French Cup, even at home, or in the final of the Coupe de la Ligue? But let's... No, you can't do. The Juventus tie, you can't expect them to win that. And in the league, they are so inconsistent.
2: Let's bear in mind that they may well be eleventh, but they're four points behind fifth place Monaco.
4: No of course but we so, keep but we keep saying, Oh, you know, one of these days they'll put a run together. There are only thirteen it's,
1: games it's, left, they're seven it's, points it's, off the top three. No, it's
4: yeah. not exactly it's not happening. And I think that I mean, actually, I think Carl Tokowiambi has done quite well for them since he's come in, and, and, and is a very good player. Mm. Somebody who makes goals for other people, and will, and will will score his fair share as well. Already got a couple in league. Um, obviously Moussa Dembele is a goal scorer. They have a lot of hope invested in this. Uh, the Brazilian midfielder Bruno Guimarães, who was an unused substitute uh, yesterday, having mm. only arrived at the club uh, last midweek after helping Brazil in the Olympic he was qualifying player of the tournament in that Olympic player of the qualifying in that campaign. competition, very highly rated but you know there is there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of players in that Lyon midfield Thiago Mendes, Jean-Lucas, Maxence Cacare, Lucas Tuzar is still there, you know, Houssem Awar didn't have a big influence on the game yesterday. Rudy Garcia has uh, has a lot of problems on his hands because, you know, if, Le- if Lyon finished the season where they are now, then well he's got very little chance of being there next season. Yeah, game, that
1: especially. Bruno Guimarães presentation I thought Juninho was maladroit because uh, he said Things about Luca Tuzar at the start of the season that weren't particularly appreciated, saying that Leon needs to move on. A lot of us probably agreed with that. And he went back in there when Gimmarash was presented as a, a Leon player, saying that Gimmarish plays those early forward passes and is different to Luka Tuzar, implying that the, the man who's off to her to Berlin in the summer yeah, can't they- do it. Possibly, but of course, if you're going to bring in another
4: midfielder and spend 20 million euros on him, then, uh, you know, you're looking for something a little bit different to what you've already got, right? I mean, that's that's uh, that should be fairly clear, uh, as well as looking for an upgrade on Lucia Tuzar, who they sold to Hertha Berlin for a lot of money, by the way. Um, but yeah, they, they, they're a club with uh, serious issues because, you know, I, I cannot see them. Beating Juventus over two legs, you imagine the Champions League adventure will come to an end there. And at this moment in time, it's very hard to imagine them playing Champions League football next season. They really need a uh, Yusuf
2: Koné back as well because Marseille yes. is looking worse absolutely. and worse. Absolutely. And
4: actually, I, I'm sorry, I don't know if this was picked up in the in the clip of the commentary because because we haven't listened to it yet. As the, the way the way these things work, but um, Marseille scored that absolutely astonishing own goal in Paris. Mm. last Wonderful. Weekend. Well, he nearly scored. He very uh, he very nearly scored. A much, much, much better own goal yesterday. A third-minute corner for Lyon was played back to Marseille. Came back to Marseille midway inside the uh, Strasbourg half of the field. Just about everybody else was in front of him towards the uh, Strasbourg goal, but he decided to volley it all the way back to his own penalty box for Antonio Lopez on his right foot and very nearly stuck it in his own uh, bottom corner. Antonio Lopez uh, injured himself trying to stop it from going in. It collided with his own post. It really would have been an absolute showstopper. This this leads me to two things.
2: The first of which is a Frank Kudru own goal scored Lance against Bastia years ago. If you don't know what I'm talking about it, look it up on YouTube now. It is fa- it's pretty much what Andy's just described, but it goes in. And also Marcel. He's I don't know if any of you remember Leon Nantes last season magnificent chip over his own goalkeeper, Aladimaria, you know, just sliding his left foot <laughs> underneath the ball just dinked over the keeper. He's got a real talent in front of his own goal.
4: But that, this, this is the thing. I mean, obviously, they signed Marcel initially as a, essentially a backup to Fernand Mendy. And obviously, Mendy's gone to Real Madrid and is doing very mm. well there. Um, and you mentioned they signed Yusuf Kone, who's on the sidelines. They also have a problem at right back because Leo Dubois is not quite ready to return mm. yet. I'm not sure if he'll be fit to play against Juventus. Uh, Rafael started the game yesterday and came off injured after about six minutes uh, with, uh, with a muscular problem. So, Kenny Tete... Uh, was on the field. Tetty's, I think, is as far as backup right backs go. He's yeah. just about the best out there in, in the French game, but he was at fault for the, the Strasbourg goal by uh, uh, trying to play offside and, and actually playing uh, Kevin Zoe on by
1: about two yards. So they do have problems in the fullback positions uh, and they and have problems all over the field. Wren are still in third, even though they lost 1 0 at Rance to El Bilal Touré's 70th minute penalty. It was given away by Damien de Silva. They've only won two in six. And uh, they removed Olivier Leton, surprisingly, from his job as president before last week's game against Brest. It's uncertainty for Wren just at the wrong time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems like they're intent on uh, on imploding at just the the worst time. I mean, if, if you're if you're of a Marseille persuasion, you're rubbing your hands together at the the possibility of this at the moment because it you know basically puts another competitor for uh, for second place uh, out of the race. Uh, but yeah, it was very very bizarre timing, and you know there seem to have been a lot of recriminations uh, you know that have come out since then. Uh, you know, Latong has has now gone on record and spoken about his surprise, not expecting uh, you know for it to, for it to happen. Happen, pointing to the fact that there were, there were a lot of people at Rennes who were very, very sad to, to, to see him go. And it does seem to have... A de- lot of the stable, senior players but... seemed very sad. To yeah, see I mean, there was, the, there was the, the, the strike from training on the day that the news broke. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, speculation that Arsene Wenger might be being lined up to, to come in and, and take over the, the presidential role. Uh, there was also um, talk of, of uh, Julien Stefan being handed a, uh, an ultimatum uh, with regards to the, 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 the three Following matches, and that was why Letton was removed. Here, he distanced himself from that and said that it wasn't. Even though admitting this that was their around relationship last November was, when
1: things weren't going so well, wasn't it? Yeah, man? and
3: it's 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 it, it all seems uh, very uh, the like you said the timing is very bizarre, yeah. uh, and it almost seems like Ren have you know shot themselves in the foot when they had a very good chance of uh, They'd know, they would never finished in the very, top three in their
1: history,
2: mm. and it, it's it seems a real shame because it was almost as if um, a new sort of Power was becoming apparent in French football. You know, they just signed a World Cup winner. They've got their their team has seems to be growing with with every passing transfer window and every new player that's graduating from their academy. Well, I think you know, I think I
3: think Tong pointed to the valuation of the squad from having jumped from about seventy million uh, euros or something like that to around like two hundred million euros mm-hmm. in. Uh, I think it was. Uh, 72 months, or something like that, or well, tw- sorry, 27 months, uh, and you know that. That's fantastic progress to have made in a in a reasonably short space of time, uh, and you know it, they did seem to have been very very well run since uh, Leton was was installed in that position. So it's just it, it's bizarre. I mean, there's the the, the speculation that um, there was some negotiations going on with Real Madrid uh, regarding uh, Camavinga as well, which which Letong tried to distance himself from as well. So it's <clears throat> it, it all seems to be yeah going going wrong at the the worst possible moment for Real.
4: I, I I've got a, a minor soft spot for Ren. I think Roson Park is one of my favourite venues to visit. I like it's the music when, they play pre-match. Yeah, I, I've realised now that
1: Nice at the Alliance Riviera they probably have a better British indie music from the Noughties playlist, which is right up my street.
4: That's the Ratcliffs <laughs> came in. Stop this nonsense. Yeah. Get on. Uh, but no, I think I think uh, you know there are the many things. But obviously the um, the culinary uh, offers around the ground are very are very good as well. I, I, I enjoy the walk to the stadium from the centre of Wren. Uh, lots of things about it. I think they're potentially a great club, but you touched on it. They've never finished in the top three, mm. despite the fact they have one of the richest uh, um, people in the world. Olympia. Yeah, and there'll be listeners who and,
1: d- who don't realise quite how much money they spent in the yeah. early noughties as yeah. well. They were
4: Severino Lucas. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> look but, him up.
4: But but you know this 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 is the thing about Rennes, that they're a club with enormous potential, and Julien Stefan with Olivier Letton uh, and and the club as a whole unlocked that potential by winning the cup last season. Um, and and they're in a position now where they can potentially go on from that. I think just purely talking about on the field, there is obviously a doubt as to whether they're really good. I don't think they were ever really thinking that they could finish in the top three, but the opportunity has presented itself. Signing in Zonzi was important for them because Kamavinga has been, I think, needing a rest. I mean, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. cup game against Belfort of the fourth division on Tuesday, he did misplace a lot of passes, put in a couple of late tackles and uh, looked slightly off the pace at times. And, and I thought maybe it was time he had a rest. But, you know, yesterday they played without him by Neon, Without uh, Adrian Hunu and without Roman del Castillo in the starting lineup, uh, Nyon and uh, Hunu are the two top goal scorers this season. Neither of them are especially prolific. Uh, Rafinha, for me, has, has really come on to something. He was uh, very impressive against Belfort in the cup, but un- unable to influence the game yesterday. But, you know, they're still in the running, but will, will they hold on to a top three place? I think it possibly depends on, on uh, the teams below them as well.
1: Football changes quickly, and nowhere more so in recent weeks than Monaco where Robert Moreno, their new boss, now has three successive wins. And I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to say Monaco are going to finish in the top three. And the reason why is because Gelson Martins is going to be suspended for the rest of the season. (laughs) And Islam Slimani has to play again now. Looked like Slimani might leave in January. He was unhappy, but he scored against Montpellier on Friday nights. And he's now on to nine for the season. And he's been a huge factor behind that improved form. Just on that, by
4: the way, Mon- Monaco play Rennes away on the final day of the season, so that could be a very interesting game. But yeah, I mean, I-, I think that Monaco, for all their ups and downs, ultimately, given all the investment they've made in that squad, you know, they they should be the ones who go on to finish in the top three. And and with the stripe, with the fire, and they left yeah. out
1: Fabregas, which is uh, also something that we've been calling for. At least I have been calling for on the League and podcast. And they went with Jovetic, Ben Yedder, and Slimani, and I think that's the way they've got to continue.
2: Yeah, or I mean they've I think those three have scored all of Monaco's last six goals, so I think you might be right with the whole Gelson Martins being left out thing. I I'm not his biggest fan, not the most efficient player, but I mean we've been saying it every week since the start of the season. Monaco have got a team more than capable of challenging Marseille for second place. So it's just just a matter of time until things clicked. Maybe this is that time
3: now where Robert Moreno has got his ideas across. I mean, I think one of the things that Monaco have lacked uh, over recent seasons was a bit of uh, stability. You know, the the return of obviously uh, Thierry Henry's reign was very tumultuous. It was it, it was a very bad ending for Jardim the first time round. Things didn't really get better ever the second time round. For the first time in quite a while now, Monaco seem like they have some actual direction, sort of on and off the pitch. Uh, they seem to have uh, you know some sort of vision in place once again. When you look at the transfer dealings they did in January, uh, you know, and they they have some you know some quality plans players there, uh and, and Robert Moreno now seems to have an idea of how he wants his team to to play. Okay. Uh you know, Slimani is is, you know, having to work his way back into the squad after being very productive in the first part of the season. Uh you know, but having somebody, you know, a consistent goal threat like uh like wissam Ben Yeda, uh, you know, you, you have to fancy them to you know to, to, to finish in the top three at the at this point. One thing that's a bit strange I find with Monaco this
2: season is they really don't have that many young Talents, which is usually such a a figure of monaco 's way of working, I mean in January, they brought in Chouamani and Fafana, who fall into that category, but otherwise in their in their starting elevens you know Balotore is young, but he doesn 't really fall into the talent category
4: for mm. me i do 't rate him <laughs> that highly but they 're not short they 're not short of players you know with mm. seventy odd mm. pro- players under professional contracts, but I think you know they ran away on the final weekend of the season also. To underline that they have to play Nice away, they have to play Lyon away, they have to play Lille away, and they have to play Marseille away before the end of the season. So let's see if um, if they can come through these games with uh, with the results they need to finish in the top three. But you know, yeah, they they, they they certainly should be finishing in the top three.
1: So a quick look at some of the other action from the weekend. Le Crocodile of Nîmes have rediscovered their snap. They're out of the bottom three, four wins in a row. Four defeats in a row, though, for Saint-Étienne. Brest 3-2 at the weekend. Is Claude Puel under pressure? They have been...
4: Absolutely Shocking. dreadful for, for the last couple of months. And I think it's nine defeats in eleven games since the mm. beginning of December for Saint Etienne.
1: Only two points above the bottom three now.
4: They are an absolute shambles, and I think uh I think the derby in Lyon in a couple of weeks' time is gonna be horrible.
3: Is due. it time to
1: send for a fireman, a pompier de service, as they say here? Antoine Comboire is free.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, I mean he seemed uh Puel seems to now be in a similar situation to Silvino at the beginning of the season, and obviously that derby was uh, you know, the death now for Silvino's time with so, you know, it's possible that maybe know, they've still got John Louis Gasset's
1: number somewhere at the bottom <laughs> of a drawer.
4: But they've, but they've, they have given uh, they gave Claude Puella fairly wide ranging powers when he was appointed in, in in October, didn't they? And the idea that they would then sack him now is is is, is, is probably very unlikely, isn't it? But um, you know, but they, they were
1: torn uh, apart by Brest. They mm. Brest had the freedom of the left hand side, Samuel Grancier especially.
4: Yeah. It was three
2: 0 wasn't it? Yeah. Saint Etienne mm. came back with a penalty in a lois Johnny goal that was just really badly
4: defended. But yeah. I the, mean, the, were three the first goal up. that Brett scored was, uh, was was a beauty, wasn't it? But uh, yeah, I mean, Saint Etienne are, are in a terrible state and um, still in the French Cup, of course. So they they do have that as a possible avenue to some success this season. But yeah, you, you touched on it. There is a, a genuine danger that they might get relegated because Nîmes have come back strong. Uh, Dijon are picking up points, and Saint Etienne certainly are not.
1: Elsewhere, Bordeaux two, Dijon two, non-nil Metz nil, and Toulouse nil. Nice too. That covers Who, all the matches that took place. Who scored over for the Bordeaux? Weekend. Jimmy Briand. Oh, did he? Oh, I didn't realise. Armel's favourite. Ninety-nine league and goals for Jimmy Briand in his career. He now. seemed a
2: bit blasé when he was asked after the game about scoring his hundredth at the Parc des Princes, which, for every Jimmy Briand enthusiast, will know that's where he made his debut for Rennes in two thousand and three. So it'd be a fitting end, or rather. Nice chapter in the Jimmy Briand story. It's far
1: from over. He's got a new contract, hasn't he?
2: <laughs> Two years. Come on. Might reach 105 by the time he retires.
1: You'll be glad to know that it's a, it's a beautiful morning in Paris. Andy Scott's leaning out the window, looking at the Eiffel Tower. No one's angry enough to do a coup de gueule. I don't know why this always happens. Whenever I host, we don't get a coup de gueule in. When Matt's here, everyone's a bit feistier. Mm. But hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, our panel have had a, a good think about where they want to go for week twenty-six or round twenty-six, should I say? As uh, it's time for our bon voyage feature.
4: Well, I'm going to I'm going to go for a Dijon against Monaco, if um, if you if you'll allow me, because. Um... Yeah, oh, well, well Monaco, Monaco we touched on. Obviously, they're in, involved in that fight for a top three finish, and they're and they're playing. Uh, and, well, they're playing away to Dijon. side they've lost just twice at home all season. They've beaten Paris Saint Germain there. They've taken points against Marseille at home, etc. So that'd be a good game. And Dijon's always a lovely place to visit. Uh, Burgundy, uh, fine food, uh, lovely canals, good place to go for a cycle. Uh, the cycling trip through the vineyards of the Côte d'Or down to Beaune is one of the best I've ever done in France and uh, if I get there in time maybe manage to do that before kick-off and and, and get back have some food get along to the Stade Gaston Gerard find myself a nice hotel for the evening and and Bob's your uncle
3: For me the one that sticks out is uh, Rennes against Nîmes I mean we were talking earlier about how Rennes are losing form one win in their last five and and you look at how Nîmes are picking up Nima picking up form as well. Four wins from uh, from their last five, and for me, this you know this has a potential sort of upset written all over it. Uh, and you know, I th- I think this fantastic story of Nimes' uh, fight for survival, you know, may well continue uh, this Sunday because I I really fancy them to get at least a point uh, away at run. I'm going to move around a bit. I think on Friday night I'll head to Metz against Lyon. Maybe
2: get some information as to who our Deja, who is. Mm, Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Mm. And then after that, I'm going to go to Strasbourg against Amiens. Just because it's been a while at Lameno, and the atmosphere is brilliant. And I'll also get to uh, keep a close eye on Dave's new favourite forward pairing. I saw Magic Warris got a goal chalked out the weekend, didn't he? But Azork and Warris. They're not a pairing, sorry. They're a trio with... With Zoe. Zoe. who scored (laughs) against Lyon.
1: There we go. I, I was getting strange looks there from Dave. But that's where I'm going. I need some more of those those indie bangers so I'm off to Nice against Brest to the Alliance Riviera thanks to the Ratcliffs if it is them if it's not mm. whoever is at Nice and choosing the tunes let me know maybe it's Patrick Vieira Maybe he, you got he's, into, that at he's Arsenal. into
2: Whitney Houston and Justin Timberlake oh so it's probably not
4: will you find time for a swim in much the, like the Matt Spiro who should be
1: back next week and um, many thanks to our Mel Tongi Jonathan Johnson fine debut Hi marks and Andy Scott solid as ever
4: yeah 6 out of 10
1: Uh, Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Pleasure, and I hope to come back soon. Me, David Crossan saying goodbye from Le Beaujeu. Au revoir, and we'll see you again next week. (laughs)